My name is Zach. For those of you that haven't got the pleasure to meet, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch and just want to extend a warm welcome to you if you're new with us, either in person or online, if you're a part of our church family, welcome home. We are celebrating today the fact that he is risen. All right, we'll try it again. We're celebrating the fact today that he is risen. It's good. I like the cheers. I'm going to give you a little churchy answer. You say, he is risen indeed. Okay, we'll try it again. We're here today to celebrate the fact that he is risen. Okay, good. We'll go one more time for the people in the back. We're going to celebrate the fact that he is risen. That's awesome. Okay, way to go. Hey, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you, if you uh, have a phone or a Bible or some sort of device that you can pull up the Bible, we're going to jump into the Word of God today. We're going to continue in our Ephesians series, and I have a goal for all of us today. I have a goal in our time together, whether this is your first time in a church in a long time or you've been in church every Sunday your whole life. I have a goal for us that I believe God has for us. Our goal today is that we would see and savor the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ in a fresh way as we look at his death and his resurrection. I'll say that again. Our goal today is that all of us would see and would savor the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ in a fresh way as we look at his death and his resurrection. And you might be asking, well, why do we want to see and savor the unsearchable? What are we even talking about here? Let me tell you a little story. Several years ago, my wife and I, we lived uh, overseas, and we lived in a nation where people did not know Jesus. In fact, 99.9% of people would say they do not know or follow Jesus in the particular country that we were in, many of whom had never had an opportunity to fully understand who Jesus was. And we were living there. And one day uh, I got in a taxi uh, and taxis were how you made your way around uh, the city in which we lived. And I began to strike up a conversation with a taxi driver. His name was Muhammad, uh, our equivalent in America, maybe John uh, or Steve. We've got Steve over here. Our equivalent of John or Steve, a common name. And Muhammad and I began to chat about life. He could tell that I was not from there. So he was asking me questions about America. I was asking him questions about his family and his life. We began to build a relationship. As we got to know one another, uh, Muhammad began to express to me that he was interested, curious about who Jesus was and why people would follow him. He had a little bit of familiarity about Jesus from some stories in the Quran that he understood, but he knew, he was like, I want to know more. And so Muhammad and I, we began to meet together every so often to drink coffee, I would drink tea, he would drink coffee. If you know me, I'm a tea drinker. Uh, but we would do that and we would study the Bible. We would study God's word. We study actually the book of Ephesians. And I remember one night we were in the middle of this park. There's all sorts of people uh, walking around us and Muhammad and I are sitting there on the grass. It's probably around nine or 10 o'clock at night and we are about to do our Bible study just like we're gonna do here in just a moment. And we're doing this uh, in Arabic, and we're trying to be a little bit discreet because where we, where we were, Bibles were just not common and people were uh, interested. Uh, and so we would do our Bible study. And I remember him reading a portion in Ephesians, like we're going to read in just a moment. And him reading it through and me hearing him kind of process it. And then me saying, hey, I actually 
want to challenge you to read that again. Just, just look again. What is it actually saying? And when he read it again, the most miraculous thing happened like right before my eyes. I won't ever forget it as long as I live. Here's this man, uh, very stoic, very traditional, very serious. And he's reading in Ephesians like we're going to do. And he reads the scripture again. And all of a sudden, it was like a light went off in his eyes. It was like some blinders that had been over them fell away in a moment. And you could see his complexion, his countenance change rather. You could see joy come into his face and come into his heart as he took in again for the first time for him the unsearchable riches of Jesus. He saw in that moment and he savored in that moment who Jesus really was. And there was some deep work that God was doing in his life. His countenance changes. Joy comes over him. His eyes light up and he begins to get giddy, almost like a child at Christmas as he talks to me as he has gotten revelation of who Jesus is. And my hope for all of us, whether we are like Muhammad and we're searching and we don't really know who Jesus is and you're here today or you're watching online, or again, you've been following Jesus for a long time. We've learned in Ephesians that he has unsearchable riches. So there's something for all of us. And he wants to open our eyes in a fresh way like he did for Muhammad. He wants to bring fresh joy as we just see how good and awesome and loving and kind and gracious Jesus is. And that's our goal today. As we go through God's word, that's what our hope is for all of us. Now, we've learned in Ephesians that getting that type of, of revelation, that type of insight into uh, who Jesus is, is not just something we just kind of stumble upon. No, in fact, the Apostle Paul has taught us that we want to pray, and he prayed over the church at Ephesus, and I want to pray over you, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, that as we read his word, that we would not just read some words, but that we would come to see him and to know him in a fresh way. So if you'd bow your heads with me for just a moment, Jesus, I thank you for every person here. And I thank you, God, that you are not looking for us to work something up to try and come find you, but that you have come to seek and to save. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. I pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened today, that we could see you in a fresh way, that we could know the hope of our, of our calling, that we could know the glorious inheritance that you have in the saints, that we'd know the surpassing greatness of your power exercised toward us who believe the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, Lord. We ask that you would come and you would open our eyes in a fresh way in Jesus' name. So again, our goal is that together that we would see and we would savor the unsearchable riches of Jesus in a fresh way by looking at his death on the cross and looking at his resurrection. And that's where the Apostle Paul takes us. Uh, I think it's really interesting that Paul, who has told us he has an assignment from the Lord to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make plain 
to his generation who Jesus was, that he comes back over and over and over and over again in the book of Ephesians and in his other writings to Jesus' death and his resurrection. In fact, Paul would go into places and he'd say, hey, I'm not here with wise or persuasive words. I have a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's Jesus. It's Jesus crucified. It's Jesus raised from the dead. And Paul is like a a Jedi master of teaching people how to see and understand Jesus. And he keeps coming back to the cross and the resurrection because it's there at the cross And in the resurrection that we see Jesus' glory shine so brightly. And that's where we're going today. That's where Paul takes the church at Ephesus. And that's where we're going today. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And here Paul writes, and he's speaking to the church, and he says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he, speaking about Jesus, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So when we read that, it's a little bit confusing because Paul's talking about Jesus ascending and descending and leading out captives and giving gifts to men. And if you're confused, you're in good company. This is a very challenging portion of scripture to wrap our minds around. But I want to break it down for us because there is gold in here if we're after knowing Jesus in a fresh way. When Paul speaks about Jesus ascending, he's speaking about Jesus ascending to the Father. Forty days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended as king over all. You probably got that. Probably where most of us are confused, whether you're a longtime Christian or you're new to the faith, or you're exploring is, what in the world is he talking about by descending? Descending into the, the lower parts, the lower earthly regions. What in the world is going on here? The idea of Christ's descent is something that we uh, refer to as Black Saturday. On Friday, we have the crucifixion. On Sunday, we have the resurrection. When Paul is talking about Jesus descending, he's talking about what happened on Saturday. Now, you might have asked the question, like, what did happen on that Saturday? Like, Friday's a big deal, Jesus being crucified. Sunday's a big deal, and being resurrected. But, but Saturday, what, what's going on there? Uh, Sometimes you know how middle children might feel like they don't get the attention in the family because the oh now I know some of your middle children y'all talk to me about this right the older child kind of is having all the firsts the younger child they're the baby they always get special treatment the rules are different for them any babies in here yeah okay any older children in here yeah okay any middle children in here There we go. Now, middle children, you know what I'm talking about. You can sometimes feel like, hey, where's all the attention for me? I wonder if Black Saturday ever feels that way, right? Everybody's, oh, so excited about Good Friday. That's the oldest child. So excited about Resurrection Sunday. But what about me in the middle? Well, we're going to go there today. It's interesting uh, about this particular day, about what happened when Paul's talking about descending to the lower regions of the church, because we don't often talk about it. But theologians, master followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have said, this is so 
important for us to understand. In fact, John Calvin said that there's no small amount uh, in bringing about redemption if this is left out. If we miss this, if we miss this descending, if we miss this, what happened on Black Saturday, we miss a lot of the power and the significance of the cross and the resurrection. And that's where Paul takes us today. He talks about Jesus descending. In 1 Peter, it says it like this, that Christ descended to souls that were in prison and he preached the gospel there. And the Apostles' Creed has said, Christ descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. This is what the church has called the harrowing of hell. Now, we don't use the word harrowing a lot, but what it means is to lay siege, to break down, to attack. This is the day where Jesus stepping down into death, stepping down into the realm of the devil, stepping down into the realm of the power of sin, and he's going on the attack. He is plundering the gates of hell. He is plundering death's cruel reign of tyranny that has kept humanity captive for far too long. I'm going to show you a painting that displays this picture. This picture is called The Harrowing of Hell, and it is an 8th century painting uh, from the Byzantine Empire. And I want you to take a look at it. You'll see there in the middle, you'll see Jesus. Underneath his feet, those golden bars are meant to speak of the gates of hell, the realm of the enemy, the gates of death. And he has plundered them. He has destroyed them. He has broken them down. On Jesus' right and on his left, you'll see rising up out of the tombs are Adam and Eve. Because what it's trying to capture is that when Christ descended, he took on the power of the devil. In fact, in most of these paintings, you can't see it on this one because of the dimensions. But most of these paintings show the devil tied up and bound in the little black area underneath the gates of heaven. He went down into death's cruel reign of tyranny and he raised up a dead humanity. He raised up Adam and he raised up Eve out of their tombs and he's leading them out of captivity, like the passage says. He's leading them into freedom. Around him, you'll see saints throughout the ages marveling and what Jesus has done, the light that is around them is meant to show that Christ is the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness, the light that darkness cannot overcome. I want you to take a moment to sit there with it so that you catch the significance of what's being said. For the church at Ephesus, they knew that death was their enemy and that death comes for us all. They knew about the power of the devil to deceive and to lead people astray, to lead people into death. They knew about the power of sin. And my guess is you know about the power of sin, the power of death, the power of the devil that seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy our great enemy. And here we see Jesus coming on our behalf, stepping into death, taking on the power of the devil to liberate a lost humanity, to liberate our forefathers and foremothers, Adam and Eve, and in them as a picture of what God wants to do with each one of us, that he wants to raise us out of our tombs, 
that he wants to come on our behalf, break open the things that have bound us, break open the things that have kept us dead and raise us to life in a fresh way. The harrowing of hell, the harrowing of hell, excuse me. This is why Jesus says in Revelation 1:18, after being raised from the dead, he says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So the picture is Jesus descending into death, descending into hell, descending into the power of sin, defeating the devil on the devil's territory and coming out with the keys. This is mine now. These people are mine now, right? That's what we're talking about here. So it's here, right here in the descent and the ascent that Paul is taking his church and the Holy Spirit wants to take us today that we might see and savor Jesus in a fresh way. It's here that we see Christ's victorious rescue mission in which he descends to battle our greatest enemies of sin, of death, and of Satan. And he harrows them. He ravages them. He plunders them. He shatters their gates. And he leads imprisoned humanity to true freedom and life. So zoom out today. Let's go back to our goal to see and savor Jesus afresh. Paul, the master of helping people do this, is helping the church at Ephesus to see and understand what Jesus' death on the cross and what his resurrection meant. And for that to really connect that this is who God is. Lean in with me for just a moment. Just lean forward. I'll wait. I don't want you to miss this. When my family, we'd go on road trips going up. We'd drive from Texas to North Carolina. We'd cross the Mississippi River. And we're going along, and it's hours and hours and hours, but we'd get to the Mississippi. My parents would be like, hey, everybody, lean up. Put your book down or whatever you're doing. Look out. You want to see this. And as your pastor, I'm saying, hey, everybody, put your book down. Look up. Lean forward. You want to see this. This is where we see who God is in a fresh way. This is where we see that God is one who has come to seek and to save, to defeat our enemies and restore us and lead us to life. This is where we begin to see Jesus in a fresh way. Think back to my buddy Muhammad. What was so significant about seeing this for him? Up until that time, Muhammad had viewed God as far off, Muhammad understood the power of sin in his life. He understood the fatality, the finality of death. He understood the power of the devil. And he was doing everything he knew how to, to come up out of his own tomb, to come up out of his own grave. You see, Muhammad had realized, as Paul taught the church of Ephesians, that we're all spiritually dead that we're all under the power of sin, that we're all dead on the inside. He knew that. And my guess is you know that as well. He was trying as best he could to do all the right things that he had been taught through uh, religious teaching that would help him escape the death that he was in, the emptiness that he was in, the slavery that he was in, that helped him rise up out. As we saw Adam and Eve, that would help him come up out of his tomb. And he thought, man, if I just do enough that maybe at the end of my life, God 
would say, good job, and I'd be given eternal life. That was his understanding. That's what he was living his life. That's how he was trying to deal with his tomb. There are many of us in here in the Bible Belt of the South that have grown up thinking, yes, I realize the power of sin, but I think if I can just do enough that maybe I would get God's attention and he would bless me and he would give me eternal life. We can relate to that. But as Muhammad read that it wasn't about humanity ascending to God, but that it was about God descending to humanity. That it wasn't about us doing enough good works to come up out of our own grave, but that it was our liberator, our God and Father, come looking for us, extending his hand, fighting our enemies on our behalf and doing what we can never do. That he raised us up. Muhammad saw the grace of God in the person of Jesus. And he saw that the way he'd been thinking about life, the way he thought about God, the way he tried to manage the power of sin in his own life had been so futile. But here was reality. Here was the truth. And this was better than he could ever imagine. That God loved him so much that God had come for him. That God had come by his grace to raise Muhammad to fresh life. As I talk about this, I know there are many in here who can relate to that? Maybe your tomb wasn't trying to do the, the way you were getting out of your tomb, wasn't trying to do all the religious things. But there are many of us in this room that know our tomb, that know the power of sin and death and the enemy in our own lives. Maybe it's a tomb of loneliness. That's how you experience it. Just this pervasive sense of being alone that weighs you down and burdens you and you try no matter what relationships you pursue, no matter how you put yourself out there, no matter what you go on, it just sticks with you. It's your tomb. Some of us know the tomb of putting all of our hopes and all of our eggs into one basket of a certain uh, girl or a certain guy giving us the attention that we would hope for and that that would heal the tomb in our hearts the tomb in which we live. Some of us, uh, it's, it's a job. It's a financial status. It's how much is in your bank account or how well you do on your next performance review, that that's what you hang your hat on, that if you could just do a good job or just make enough, that you'll come up out of the pain and the lostness and the brokenness that you're in. Some of you, the tomb is apathy. You've just given up. You just kind of said, I'm just going to check out and watch YouTube and Netflix or whatever it is for you and just be numb. Whatever it is for you today, if you're a follower of Jesus, when I start talking about this, you can start thinking about your own tomb. You can think back to where you were when Jesus came for you. I can think back to how life was before I realized that Jesus had descended on my behalf for me. And if you're a believer today, I want to encourage you to draw that to mind. I want to give you just a moment. This is going to be a participation part of the message. Because some of you, as I'm telling this story, you're like, I don't need a painting to show me this. This is my own story. I know that Jesus has come for me. I know that Jesus has raised me. I remember what things are like. I want you to go there in your mind. 
And as you go there, I want you to let the freshness of that help you to appreciate God in a new way, to help gratitude and celebration and thanksgiving rise up in your hearts as you remember God's grace for you, as you remember Jesus descending for you and leading you out. And for those of you that you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, that you would be more like my buddy Muhammad who is trying to figure things out, what I want you to know is whatever name you would give to your tomb. Jesus wants to come and he wants to liberate you from that and he wants to lead you out of captivity to sin, out of captivity to the power of the enemy, out of death and lead you to life. In fact, scripture says it's even more profound than just our own personal uh, uh, fulfillment and freedom. If you'll go back to the text, it says this. It says in uh, verse 10, it says that he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Jesus wasn't just coming for ones or twos of us. Jesus is coming for humanity. Jesus is coming, as Paul has said, to fill all things and bring all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth under submission to his lordship and leadership. That Jesus is taking the death and the sin and the power of the enemy that we see in the headlines every day and that we see in our own hearts over all of humanity. And he's coming to redeem and to restore and to make all things new. This is about your redemption and mine. But it's also about our redemption, the redemption of us all. That Jesus is coming for all who would take hold of his hand. All who would let him lead them out of captivity. My buddy Muhammad, he had to make the choice as he saw Jesus was extending his hand to say, Jesus, I want to take your hand and I want to follow you. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision, I want you to know that Jesus is extending his hand to you in your tomb today. But you have to take hold of it and say, I'm going to let you lead me out of here. And he wants that for you today. Jesus is filling all in all, and he's going to fill, as this says, the whole universe. Now, back to my goal. I want to help you see and savor the unsearchable riches of Jesus in a fresh way today. As we look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this is where Paul took the church at Ephesus. This is what he's unveiling before him. My hope is that as we've talked today, that you have gained a fresh insight into the goodness and love and graciousness of Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. That's the seeing part. We're going to go into a time of worship as we close. That's the savoring part. What does it mean to savor? Think about the best barbecue aroma coming up out of the grill as you go to Easter lunch. And you just take it in, right? We, we, we've seen, right? You're seeing the meat on the grill, but now it's time just to breathe deep. And I want you to remember the goodness of God who came for you. And I want you to remember the goodness of God who is coming for you today. And I want you to remember the goodness of God that Jesus descended into death so that when you and I die, guess what? Christ is there. Christ is there. Before us and behind us, he's there. 
And I want to lead us in worship if the worship team can come forward to savoring that. The way that you savor these truths that we're learning is that we turn it into worship. We sing and we go over these things. And as we sing, the Holy Spirit helps it connect in our hearts in a fresh and deep way. I want to invite you to stand. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never taken his hand like my friend Muhammad did. As we worship, the words of the prayer are not what's important. God sees your heart. And if you're here today and you're wanting to make a decision for Jesus to save you, all you need to do is say, Jesus, I take your hand. Please lead me out of this death that I'm in. I turn from my sin. I want to follow you. And you can do that as we worship. But church, now is the time to celebrate. So I'm going to start again. You know the line. We're here today to celebrate that he is risen. We're here today to celebrate that he is risen. We're here to celebrate today that he is risen. As the worship team leads us, let's rejoice in song about the goodness and the majesty of Jesus as we have seen and savored who he is, his unsearchable riches in a fresh way today.